Welcome to the INO podcast. My name is Jasmine and I will be your host for the foreseeable future. We've got a good show for you guys today. We are diving back into our idolatry episode. Now, if you guys haven't listened to the last episode, be sure to go listen to the last episode. But as I was recording the last episode, I found that the podcast was like an hour long, an hour and a half long. And I was like, no. So this is part two of idols. We're going to go into the three remaining idols Uh, forgive me if something sounds weird where I've referenced something in the past it's because I edited some stuff and things are different but let's go ahead and dive into part two of idolatry so now I want to transition into another idol that I've seen This one's probably going to anger a lot of people. I do expect to get messages on this one, and it is the God of nationalism. So I'm just going to dive right into it. So just a touch of Jewish history. When God called Abraham to go to a land which the Lord prepared, his intent was to create a nation set apart and holy for himself and establish a theocracy. If you don't know what a theocracy is, it's a government ruled by God. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God commanded Israel not to mix with other nations as they were supposed to be holy. God did not want them getting mixed with the other nations' paganism. So the reason why God did that is because these other nations all around them not only served multiple gods, but they did it in ways that God does not want to be worshipped. And we know that God not only sets the tone and tells us, that he is the one to be worshiped, but he tells us exactly how to worship. So God did not want them to worship other gods or take the customs and practices of how they worshiped other gods and bring that over here and start worshiping God that way. It's also important to note that at any given time, anybody could join and be part of Israel. And I feel like we forget that sometimes. Sometimes people just paint God to be this monster that only protected and wanted a certain particular race or group of people and that everybody else had to suffer, but that just was not true. At any given point, if you saw like, hey, those Israelites, they're they're pretty blessed, or those Israelites are prospering in a whole bunch of ways, or those Israelites, like if you were an Egyptian during the Exodus, hey, Some of those plagues that have been plaguing us, the Israelites are fine. Not all of them, but some of them. And I think I want to jump ship. You could do that. The only caveat was that you had to submit to the Lordship of Yahweh when you wanted to switch over. In other words, don't bring that crap over here. If you're going to be here, then be here. Don't bring your paganism. Don't bring your other gods. Don't bring your other rituals. Keep that over there. When you come over here, submit to God, submit to the ways of the culture. And this is now we know spiritually, this is Christian culture, but submit to the ways of the culture and there will be no problems. Now, granted, not all Gentiles were treated correctly, but 
that was not God's doing. That was his people, his people doing. And how many of us know that sometimes Christians don't do the right thing. Sometimes Christians say they're with God and they treat people nasty. That does not mean God is nasty. And that does not mean that his intention was to be wrong to us. It just means that his servants have chosen to not act in the way that is according to what God had said. But anyway, just as a reminder, at any given point, any person who was of a different nation could become a Jew, could become an Israelite, come over, submit to God and have the same rights that other Jews had, especially the longer that you stayed. If you had children and generations there, um, the people tended to treat you better. Again, that was not God's intention. He wanted you to be treated equal the moment you got there, but I digress. According to Isaiah 14, 1, Isaiah 56, verse 6 through 8, this shows, you guys can uh, check me on the word because remember, you know, I'm just human, might not have everything right. Uh, but this, these scriptures show that yes, foreigners could come over and be a part of Israel at any given time that they wanted. And that was God's intention. And it's important to note that for Israelites, nationalism was one part of being holy and set apart unto God. Again, God did not want them mixing with other cultures because really he didn't want the paganism of other cultures to infect his people. There's nothing wrong with other people's culture, I don't believe. Um, but it was the rituals of other gods that God did not want to be brought over here. Now, by the time Jesus hit the scene, nationalism took a wrong turn. Many Jews were mistreating Gentiles. In fact, there was a sense that all you needed to do was be born Jewish and you were right with God. Uh, Jesus refuted this in Matthew 3, 9, but nationalism had blinded them. And many felt that they were already free and righteous because of their Jewish heritage. And we see this played out really well in John 8, 33. I'm not going to read it. Please go back and read it for yourself. The summation of just this one verse is a group of people were like, Jesus, you know, we're Jews, so we're good, right? And Jesus was like, nah, that's not enough. Um, we know this now. God has always wanted a closeness and a a relationship with his people. It was never about your heritage that you were born with. It was about a relationship, even back from the Old Testament. So God was basically saying it was not enough just for you to be born Jewish, just for you to do the rituals of Jewish tradition. He wanted relationship. He wanted a people whose heart was, was turned to him. So how does God expect us to behave regarding our nation today? Well, God gives us a few clues. Believers in Christ are expected to obey the laws of the land, according to Romans 13, 1 through 7, which Paul wrote while he was being persecuted under the emperor Nero. So anybody who doesn't know who Nero is, Nero was a bad man and not bad in the sense of good, bad in the sense of awful. He was burning Christians at the stake for pleasure. He was sending them into the lion's den to be torn apart, ripped apart. He was awful. He was a terrible persecutor of Christians specifically. Nero didn't like any religion, but he specifically hated Christians. And for Paul to say, hey, even while under persecution, 
you are supposed to obey the laws of the land carries a lot of weight. However, we do not obey the laws that are in conflict with God's law. According to Acts 5:29, it says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. So at any given point, if your culture, if your country has dictated or mandated or written a law that is in direct conflict with the word of God, your job is to keep your allegiance to the father. And here's the thing. I'm not saying that you can't celebrate when your nation is doing the right thing. You can't wear your flag or, you know, be happy for your nation, be proud of your nation, whatever the case is. I'm not saying that that is inherently wrong. What I am saying is do not let that become an idol. Do not let that lead you astray. And if your nation is doing things that are contrary to the word of God, your loyalty first and foremost should be the kingdom of heaven before it is your nation. And again, this is mostly for American Christians that I'm talking to and to the Western world. Uh, People overseas uh, in the Eastern part of the world, the ones who are really being persecuted, they get this. Um, Christians who are just starting to taste, I don't even want to really say taste, but taste for lack of a better word, some persecution. Um, This is going to be heavy in later years. Remember that we are citizens of another kingdom, according to Philippians 3.20 and Hebrews 11.15-16. through 16. They echo this, no matter how great a country is, it cannot replace what God continues to do for you and what he has already done for you. Your country could be the greatest country on earth. It could be fighting for people's rights. It could be helping the poor. It could be doing everything God commanded us to do in the Bible, which is amazing and bravo for your country. However, that country did not die on the cross for you. That country did not save you from hell. That country did not save you from your sins. And that country will not get you to heaven. It is only through the blood-bought power of Jesus Christ that will do all of that for you. Remember, only God can supply all of our needs. We should not look to the government to be supreme supplier or helper to our situation. By this, I want to clarify what I'm saying. Only God can supply all our needs. We should not look to the government to be the supreme supplier or helper to our situations. God is our helper. God is our provider. We pray to him and we look to him first before we start looking to anybody else for our help. Now, will God use people, governments, powers, and systems to help us? Absolutely. But we cannot let these people, governments, and systems become our God and become what we rely on when we are in trouble. And this is why I don't want to talk too much just about America. I'm applying this to any country because, guys, this is exciting. We have listenership overseas. So this is not just an American podcast, praise God. But we actually have a lot of people listening in Brazil and apparently Berlin. Um, which is awesome. Thank you guys for listening to me. Um, But this goes for any country. This is mostly stereotypically an American thing. We tend to be very arrogant about our country, tend to be very prideful and boastful. So I just want to talk about some diagnostic questions you can ask yourself to see if perhaps nationalism has become an idol. And remember, 
nationalism in it of itself is not wrong. Honoring that which is honorable is not wrong. However, it becomes an idol when we put our own nation above the things of God. So here's some questions for you. Are you following laws of your nation that contradicts God's commandments? Are you more concerned with receiving help from the government over praying and asking God for help? Are you treating outside nations with love? Do you consider the church at large at all? And I wanted to ask these questions, especially the ones regarding other nations, because remember, the church at large consists of all different types of ethnic backgrounds, all different types of backgrounds in general. Um, every shade of color, every race, creed, tribe, tongue, language, all fit into the body of Christ and it's beautiful. Nationalism narrows our view of the body of Christ and we tend to think that the body of Christ looks like us and if they don't, they should form to us. And it makes it, again, it makes the idol the nation itself. So if you're not with our nation, you're against us and you can't be over here. But remember, God, when we come into his family, we are part of a new nation, a new kingdom. We are citizens of the new heaven. So anybody who cries out for the salvation of Jesus Christ becomes your brother or sister and should be treated with love and respect. And they should not have to worry about conforming to every type of American culture or Western culture or Brazilian culture or whatever other countries listening culture. They should be able to come and bring the kingdom of God and not have to worry about getting bombarded with the right way to live is from my nation. That's not true. The right way to live is from the Bible. Anybody that does that is should be cool with you. So let's go ahead and talk about this next idol. And I know I'm moving really fast. Again, if you go to my Instagram, we'll spend longer time on each of these because you can go into a lot of depth with each of these. But the next to last idol is comfortability. And I'm gonna try to say that multiple times in this podcast without tripping up, so bear with me. And again, I'm going to target my Christian friends in the West because I don't believe we understand persecution like the church in the Eastern world who actually does receive persecution. I mean, someone might unfriend us on Twitter. Someone might cuss us out on Instagram. We might lose some friends. We might not get invited to the, the church picnic. We might not get invited to Sally's birthday party. Um, you know, hey, nowadays I've heard of crazy things where some people are losing their jobs, which is actual persecution but I digress um, but I feel like overseas they kind of really understand what it means to be a Christian and what it means to um, be persecuted and not be comfortable and Christians are starting to feel a bit uncomfortable and um, this idol of comfortability has got to break I want to start off by saying this if you are in the reformed Christian world especially Baptist or Pentecostal, I am sure you've heard from the pulpit or your elders meeting or whatever the case that we need revival in our country. And this could be my ignorance. And I, I try to follow a whole bunch of different churches because I like to understand 
the church culture at large, the church culture in America, and figure out, you know, what the temperature's at, for lack of a better way of saying it. But it feels like the majority of us are waiting for someone else to bring the revival. It's as if we are content with just jumping in the wave once it's already started going or waiting for it to be cool to love Jesus out loud again. It's like we're waiting for someone to start this thing that we know needs to happen rather than be the revival that God has called us to be in this situation right now. So I want to start off with 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. And I actually want to read that because I feel like I'm going really fast and I'm not reading any scripture and that's bothering me. So 2 Timothy 3.12 reads, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And I don't see a lot of churches talking about this scripture in particular, and there are plenty of other scriptures where God promises us that we're going to face persecution. Not that it may happen, not that you may face persecution, but that if you are following me wholeheartedly, it will happen. In fact, it should be an indication that if you are following me with your whole heart, persecution should be there. I want to submit to you that if your church or you yourself have not been persecuted, your gospel may be watered down. And that's going to be a bit tough for people to listen to. But when God tells us multiple times in his word and promises us, and I mean, just directly says it in second Timothy chapter three, verse 12, anyone who wants to live a godly life will suffer persecution. If you are not suffering persecution, then I do have to ask, how are you living? I want to tell American Christians this. We cannot tell the line of being accepted and following God wholeheartedly anymore. We have tiptoed that line for years and years and years. And this is why the state of the church is where it's at. We want to be liked. We want to be loved by people. And we don't want to come off as, well, I don't want to be a judgmental Christian. And I don't want to cause any issues. And it ultimately comes down to comfortability. You want to be comfortable. You don't want to be pressed. You don't want to be hurt. You don't want to be crushed. You don't want any oil because that's really what it is. You just want to live the easiest Christian life as possible. And this nation has been blessed for hundreds of years to where we really have not had to uh, suffer persecution as the church overseas. However, it is coming. And I don't want to say that to scare people. I just want to say that to warn people. If you are watching the news or paying attention to what is happening in this life, you know it's coming. So it's better to get ready and get rid of this idol now so that when it's time to make a stand for Christ, you have been making little stands for years and it's easier to make that big stand rather than towing the line and now you got a 50-50 shot of whether or not you're going to make the decision or not. And I know I want to be prepared. I want to say the flesh is at enmity to the things of the spirit. So those that mind and live fleshly are at enmity to those that live by the spirit and the two will never agree. They will always meet at a crossroad and have to split. So again, we cannot tow that line of I want to be liked, but I want to follow God. Now, where you should be accept, accepted and loved wholeheartedly is within the body of Christ. 
that's where you should find your acceptance and your love and all those feelings. Also, I will say this, and this is not going to be fun to hear either, but if your church is feeding this idol in your life, it may be time to leave. And this goes with earlier in the episode talking about seeker sensitive churches. If your church again is not receiving any persecution or they're so seeker sensitive that people can come and stay in their sin for years and feel comfortable, it may be time to move. So some diagnostic questions are, do you have a fear of man problem? Are you afraid to speak out about your faith? Are you afraid of what your non-safe friends or coworkers will think? Do you attend a watered down church that does not challenge your faith? Are you never convicted? Again, can you sit in your church for years in sin and never feel conviction? Are you waiting for revival rather than being the revival you're waiting on? And I want to end with, again, talking about revival because revival is a fun word we like to throw around in Pentecostal, Baptist, and Reformed churches. But with revival often comes some pushback. And we've got to have a backbone and we've got to be okay with not being comfortable. So now we're going to talk about the last idol. I saved the best for last. And this is the idol of yourself. This is the pride. This is the I'm the man. I'm the woman idol. This is my opinion matters idol. In an era of self-love, self-care, self-sufficiency it is easy to be and feel that oneself is the most important thing in fact some have even adopted the worldview of humanism that you can save your own self from unwanted emotions situations or whatever else a lot of us have been conditioned whether through social media or other social campaigns that we don't need god god can just bless whatever we have in mind for our own lives He can give the subliminal check mark or wave his magic hand and bless our lives and just kind of bless whatever we want to do. Now, I'm not saying loving or taking care of yourself is not good. In fact, it is godly. It's when we love and believe these things outside of God. The idolatry of self is just another way of saying pride. And we know God does not like pride. I also wanted to note that This pride can be manifested by the degree of importance we put on our own opinions. And so one thing that I'm seeing is a lot of Christians giving their opinion towards certain social things or social situations or uh, politics and policy. And I'm not saying Christians shouldn't be involved in politics, far from it. I think we should be very involved in politics. I think we should be very involved in social systems and situations however your opinion needs to line up with the word of god and if you think that your opinion is more important than the word of god or oh i just don't agree with that part of the word or oh we've progressed too much or oh things are not the same anymore um that is putting yourself and your opinion above the truth of god and just a reminder just because you disagree with God's word or it makes you uncomfortable, it does not make it any less valid or true. God's word is the ultimate authority. It is the ultimate way to live and is the the truth, not a truth, not a life, not a way. It is the way, the truth, and the life to live. So it is imperative, especially if you're in leadership, 
that you recognize that the Bible and the word of God is the most important thing, even trumping ourselves and our own opinions, whether we agree with it or not. I remember I told you guys in episode one, there are things in the Bible that I, my flesh doesn't agree with. When I read it, it makes me uncomfortable. Um, I just, ugh, I just don't really like it too much. But um, in this Christian walk, we are constantly putting our flesh under the microscope of the Bible and saying, hey, this does not line up. This does not agree. And so I put my flesh into subjection to the word of God. And I say, flesh, you will obey the word of God because I know because I've been saved that the Bible is the highest authority and it is the truth. And I will say the church of America as a whole, it's not everybody, of course, but as a whole does not understand true submission. We take God's word as suggestion uh, or, hey, you know, this is how things used to be, but we've progressed. So we don't we can take this scripture out or this scripture makes us uncomfortable, um, you know, throw this away. And we forget that God says that his he is the same yesterday, today and forever, meaning that God is still the same God in 2021 and he will still be the same God in the year 3000 if he tarries. We kind of, and I think it's because of our democracy, which it, it's a beautiful thing. We have freedom of speech. Um, we get to express our opinions, but um, sometimes we just value our opinion too much. Uh, and sometimes we just believe that our opinion is equal to that of God's and it just simply isn't. When we come to Christ, we are submitting our flesh to be crucified and then made new, but crucified first, because we are recognizing that this world and our flesh is not enough to save us. It's insufficient. The world system, any government, any economic system is insufficient. What's crazy is we'll come to God knowing this and suggest to God how he should run his kingdom based off of our last world system. Almost like we know better. If we knew better, we wouldn't need him. Now, do our opinions matter? Well, Yes, I believe they should mostly be used as gauges. Um, if you're having a negative opinion or a negative feeling about something, we use that and say, hey, you know, what's going on with me inwardly? Um, how do I change this negative feeling? Is it because I'm hungry? Is it because somebody hurt me? Is it because I don't trust God in a certain area? Whatever that feeling is, I believe it's to help us gauge where our heart is at, especially in relation to God. So it does matter. But it does not trump the truth of God's word. The problem with the idol of pride and the problem with the idol of your own self is that this idol keeps us from repentance. It exalts our opinions and our feelings above the truth and it separates us from God. Now all idols and all sin does this, but pride will keep you from getting back, from making up lost ground because you feel in your own eyes, you are justified in your feelings, in your sin or in your emotions. Remember pride was the first sin and the most serious sin. Pride came before a fall specifically in regards to Lucifer. He wanted to be worshiped, he was prideful and God kicked him out of heaven. It was a serious offense to God, and it was the first offense to God that's recorded in the Bible. So I want to give you some scriptures specifically about how God feels about pride. So with Proverbs 11 verse 2, it reads, Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility 
comes wisdom. Then we move on to Proverbs 16, verse 5. And it reads, The Lord detests the proud. They will surely be punished. Proverbs 16, 18. You just scroll down a little bit. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. I'm reading out of the NLT version. So if it sounds familiar, it is familiar. Pride comes before the fall. We probably quoted it or heard it quoted from the pulpit before, um, usually from the KJV, but I'm just reading the NLT for now. James 4, 6 reads, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Luke 14, 11 reads, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the way to move up is to get low and the way to move down is to get haughty about yourself. So what are some diagnostic questions? And I want to tell you guys, I am pulling these questions from Hope Bible Church. I'm not really familiar with the church, but I w- went online to help me kind of figure out um, some not diagnostic questions and they have 50 questions guys so if you really want to dive deep on whether or not you have an issue with pride be sure to go online and find them they have 50 questions I'm only going to give you about 10 um, but let's run through them these are the ones that stuck out to me that I wanted to specifically ask um, number one do you treat everyone with love and respect number two do you trust God over your own way Do you truly believe that God knows best? Number three, are you overly competitive? Are you always comparing yourself to other people? Number four, do you feel superior due to your accomplishments or material items? Example, nice house, nice car, nice job. Does that make you feel superior over somebody who maybe has a smaller house or not as nice car or not as fancy house? Number five, do you feel deserving of things like God or people owe you something? Stereotypically, this is an issue for millennials and Gen Z. Apparently we have an entitlement issue. I don't know. Number six, do you have a hard time listening to quote unquote ordinary people? Do you listen better to those you respect or admire? And guys, this one hit me hard. Um, I have found in my own life that people that I respect I do tend to listen to and take their words as heavier weight and people that I maybe don't know or don't have as much respect for or whatever the case is, I tend to tune their opinions out. This is not correct. God values everybody, therefore I should value everybody. But moving on. Number seven, do you like to reveal your own mind? Do you have an answer for everything? Are you always the smartest person in the room? Are you always the expert in the room? So again, I want to give you some tips on how to deal with this idol. Number one, confess and repent. And this should be number one for everybody, but I forgot to put it at the top. Confess and repent. Turn away from the sin. Number two, humble yourself. It is our job to humble ourselves. Believe me, you do not want God to humble you. God will humble the proud. That is a promise in his word, but he tells us in 1 Peter 5 verse 6, and I'm actually going to read it, but he tells us in this scripture that it is our job to humble ourselves. 1 Peter 5 verse 6 reads, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. So how can you humble yourself? Well, 
if you are like me, where I found like I had an issue with number six about having a hard time listening to what I feel are ordinary people, put yourself around those types of people and try to learn and glean from them. I truly believe anybody has something to teach you. I believe everybody can teach somebody something. You are not an expert in everything, whether if it's just what not to do, you can learn something from anybody. If it is a number five issue where you feel you are deserving of things, maybe go give your time or your resources to those who are less fortunate so that you can see how blessed you are in your own life. Do you like to reveal your own mind? That was number seven. If that's the case, maybe don't speak up when someone says, does anybody have anything to add to the conversation? Maybe just let the conversation ride out. You might find that other people had the same idea as you, but because you want your mind to be heard all the time, nobody else can get a word edgewise. So find out where the pride comes from and put yourself in uncomfortable situations of dealing with that pride. Number three, fast. Again, starve the flesh. This always helps us get rid of idols in our life. And number four, ask God to convict you whenever you are in pride and give you a holy hatred of pride. Sometimes you might just not know that you're in pride and you just need your spirit to be extra sensitive to those moments for God to call you out and to make it a point to call you out so that, hey, next time I know that that was prideful, I shouldn't think like that and I need to deal with that issue. So yeah, guys, this has been going over six idols that I have personally seen in the church. I hope it was convicting. I hope it was good. I'm just gonna go over what the six were again, the pride, the church, marriage, celebrities, comfortability, and nationalism. Um, I believe that if we can get these things out of the church, obviously we'll be healthier for it. We're going to be a more disciplined church. We'll be more in tune with the spirit and we'll be able to go in more power and authority. That's what this podcast is for is to help equip the bride to be all that she can be. But I want to thank you guys for listening again. Shout out to my international listeners. I literally cannot believe you guys are listening to me. Um, weekly. Some of my most loyal listeners are from Brazil. So shout out to you guys. I'm going to try to learn some Portuguese for you. That way I can at least do the intro and some Portuguese. Um, Shout out to Berlin. And uh, thank you again to all my friends here in America who listen. Appreciate you guys. And cannot wait for episode four. Stay tuned. I have a guest on. That way you guys don't have to hear my voice the whole time. Um, His name is Elijah Pemberton. He will be on and we are going to be talking about feminism. It's going to be a great podcast. We are going to talk about the root causes of feminism, the issues with feminism. What is the actual point of men, which might just be the title of the podcast episode. You don't want to miss it. And with that, guys, stay saved out there because things are getting crazy. Peace. (music) Thank you.